Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. And now, here's Dr. Dan Gerard. I have two more presentations this Sabbath and next Sabbath on the resurrection season. I am convicted and convinced that the death and resurrection of Christ is the cornerstone upon which you and I must continue to build. And today I'm going to be sharing a message that you may never have thought of, but it's one that's very important. In our last session, we looked at the assurances we have as a result of the ascension of Christ after His resurrection. We looked at the assurance of intercession that Christ makes in our behalf as our great high priest. We looked at the assurance of His second coming, the blessed hope that we have in Christ. And in our session today, we are going to note what transpired in the lives and in the relationships of Christ's disciples in that period of time between His ascension and the day of Pentecost that is coming up very soon. I discovered that very few commentators have dealt in detail with this time period, but I'm convicted in my intellect and I'm convinced in my emotions that an understanding of this time frame can provide great insight into preparing us, you and I, to be candidates to receive both the former rain and the latter rain outpouring of God's sweet Holy Spirit. I read from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 9, 12, and the eighth part of 13. And when Jesus had spoken these things, while the disciples beheld, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. I'm going to share with you four things that we should be noting that took place during this time period between the ascension of Christ and the day of Pentecost. The first thing that we need to note is that the disciples were obedient to the command of Jesus. After His resurrection and before His ascension, Jesus said very pointedly to them, as recorded in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. He was referring to the Holy Spirit baptism that His disciples needed for the church to be birthed in a blaze of glory. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. And underscore this phrase, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. 
So the question we need to ask is, were they obedient to this command? Absolutely. Luke chapter 24, verses 51 and the A part of 52. And it came to pass when Jesus blessed them, He was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshiped Him, and underscore, they returned to Jerusalem. So Jesus gave the command, go to Jerusalem, wait there until you be endued with power, and the disciples obeyed the command of Christ. My brothers and sisters, if those disciples had not obeyed the command of Christ, they would not have received the baptism of God's Holy Spirit in their lives. And if you and I are going to receive the baptism of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, we must be obedient. It's necessary. We sing the song sometimes, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And God longs to fill your life and my life with the baptism of His sweet Holy Spirit. But I ask the question, would God be an ethical God if He were to baptize an individual with His sweet Holy Spirit who did not have an attitude of obedience? That would be a violation of the entirety of Scripture, wouldn't it? Because all of the Bible calls us to a place of obedience. You remember what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the Garden of Eden? It was a lack of obedience. And so again, I say, if you and I would receive the baptism of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, we must be like the disciples. We must be obedient to the command of Christ. The second thing we note during that time period between the ascension of Christ and the day of Pentecost was that their attitude changed. We might say that the disciples became more heavenly-minded. Look at the B part of Luke 24 and verse 52. They, talking about the disciples, they returned to Jerusalem how? Underscore, with great joy. What a dramatic change in their attitude from that which had been possessing them just a short time before this. Let's back up to Luke chapter 24 and begin reading in verse 36. Now, this is after the death, after the resurrection of Christ. I want you to note their attitude. And as the disciples thus spake, Jesus stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were, underscore, terrified and affrightened. They were so terrified, so frightened, that they supposed that they had seen a spirit. And then Jesus said to them, 
question form, underscore, why are you troubled? Look at their attitude. Their attitude was that of a troubled mind, a troubled heart. And then he asked, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? These type of, of, of terrified thoughts, these types of, of a frightened thoughts, these types of, of troubled thoughts, why are you allowing them to arise in your heart? It's all because of the attitude they had. But during that time period between the ascension of Christ and the day of Pentecost, their attitude changed. The Bible says they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. You see, their frame of mind became more heaven-directed. They allowed the joy of the Lord to become part of their strength. And the Bible tells us that indeed the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I also want you to notice what was of great value as being a vital part of their joy. Look at Luke 24 and verse 53. And they were continually in the temple, underscore, praising and blessing God. Oh, what a change in attitude. And my friends, if you and I are going to receive the baptism of God's sweet Holy Spirit, we must allow our attitudes to change if such a change is necessary. And this can take place as you and I become more heavenly minded. And how do we do that? How do we become more heavenly minded? How can our attitude be changed as we start thinking more about God? How can our attitude be changed as we begin to bless His holy name more and more and more. Because as you and I begin to praise and bless the name of God, our joy will become more and more and more existent in our lives and in our living. Third thing that we note during this time period between the ascension of Christ and the day of Pentecost was that they engaged in continual prayer as a united group. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, underscore, these all continued. How? With one accord in prayer and supplication. And so I'm asking us the question at this juncture, why was this such an important element for them to experience? Why was it imperative for, for them to engage in continual prayer in a united, as a united group? Now, follow me very closely. It's important because not too long before this, they were not united. Not too long before this, they were not heavenly minded. They were not of one accord. Let's go to Luke chapter 22 
beginning in verse 24. Now, before I read this text, I want to remind us of the context. Luke 22, beginning in verse 24, is immediately after what we call the Lord's Supper. It's immediately after the foot washing. Now, I want you to see the scene. Can you see it in your mind's eye? Christ has just engaged in the and the ordinances with his disciples, that of foot washing and of the Lord's Supper. Now, pick up with me in Luke 22 and verse 24, remembering the context. And there was also a strife among them. Who's them? The disciples. Now, I want you to see this clearly. They have just experienced the Lord's Supper. They have just had Jesus wash their feet. And in the context of this, the Bible says there was strife among them. Now, why was there strife among them? Listen carefully. There was also a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest? Now, there's certainly none of us that would fall in that category, is there? There are none of us that would get twisted all out of sorts if, if we were not recognized and, and we were not acclaimed and, and we were not patted on the back as being someone important and special. None of us would fall in that category, would we? We certainly would not fall out with one another and allow strife to become part of our relationships with one another. I mean, we wouldn't do that. But those disciples did. Those men who had spent over three years with Christ had just experienced communion and foot washing, allowed strife to bubble in their relationships because they couldn't work it out as to who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Notice this, but ye shall not be so. <laughs> My friends, your attitude and my attitude must be different than that of the world. He continued, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as a younger. And he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Listen to me carefully, my friends. The time between the ascension of Christ 
And the day of Pentecost was crucial. It was crucial so as to allow them the time to enable their minds and their hearts to be transformed. Because as their minds and as their hearts were transformed, it would prepare them for the baptism of God's sweet Holy Spirit. And the same transformation can take place in your life and in my life today. Let me ask you a question. Would it be ethical for God to fill us with His sweet Holy Spirit if, if we had a divided mind and heart and relationships among ourselves? Would that be ethical with Father God? No. God's desire from the very beginning has been for us to be united. One of my favorite writers left us a beautiful commentator, commentary on this time period. It's from a work titled, The Acts of the Apostles, pages 35 through 37. Listen. In obedience to Christ's command, remember that first point that we covered a little while ago? In obedience to Christ's command, they waited in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Spirit. They did not wait in idleness. As the disciples waited for the fulfillment of the promise, they humbled their hearts. The disciples prayed with intense earnestness for a fitness to meet men and to speak words that would lead sinners to Christ. Listen carefully. Putting away all differences, all desire for the supremacy, they came close together in Christian fellowship. They drew nearer and nearer to God. And as they did this, they realized what a privilege had been theirs in being permitted to associate so closely with Christ. These days of preparation were days of deep heart searching. The disciples felt their spiritual need and, and cried to the Lord for the holy unction that was to fit them for the work of saving souls. They did not ask for a blessing for themselves merely. They realized that the gospel was to be carried to the world, and they claimed the power that Christ had promised. Oh, my brothers and sisters, God wants to fill you, and, and God wants to fill me with the dynamics of His sweet Holy Spirit. And as we become united and continue in prayer, it can be a reality. Finally, the fourth thing we note during the time period between the ascension of Christ and the day of Pentecost is that they experienced the importance of doing God's work. Now, this fourth thing could only take place as the first three had transpired. 
But as those first three became a part of their interaction with God and their interaction with one another, they experienced the importance of doing God's business. The passage I'm going to read is lengthy, but it's vital in understanding this element to be a part of what they did during that time period between the ascension of Christ and the day of Pentecost. I read from Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled with the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now, this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, inasmuch as that field is called in their proper tongue a seldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So what is he saying? He's saying that there is some business that needs to be taken care of. And the business is urgent. I continue. And they appointed two. Joseph called Basabas, who was surnamed Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, underscore, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. So, what's Peter saying? He's saying, God, there's some business to be taken care of, and we are concerned about your business, and we want to be involved in your business, and we do not want this to be our business. It's your business. Do you think that Peter perhaps remembered the account that Jesus rehearsed to them when he said, I must be about my father's business. That he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven 
apostles. So what does this teach you and I about the early church? It teaches this. If you and I are going to receive the baptism of God's Holy Spirit, we must not shun and we must not neglect taking care of the business of God's kingdom on this earth. And the business must always be viewed as his business. What I'm about to say is not meant to be critical, it's not meant to be judgmental. There are too many of us who are doing too little in regard to taking care of the business of God's kingdom. I love you. Am I smiling? I don't think I've asked you this question in many months. Can you see my teeth? I love you. But I want to repeat. There are too many of us who are doing too little in regard to taking care of the business of God's kingdom. I am concerned. I'm concerned because our conferences are suffering. There are fewer and fewer pastors that are filling pulpits. There are fewer and fewer individuals who are coming out of our schools who have a passion for pastoral ministry. I had the privilege of spending some time with our conference president as we played golf this uh, Monday at camp meeting, and he shared with me that our conference is having a real issue in finding a treasurer. There's a vacancy. And he's called a lot of different places. And over and over again, conference presidents are sharing with him, there's no one out there. I'm concerned. I'm concerned that our local churches are suffering. And again, I'm not being critical, not being judgmental. I'm concerned that our local churches are suffering because of a lack of members who are willing to serve in various positions. Now, I'm not the smartest kid on the block. Am I still smiling? And I know that we all have our jobs and we have responsibilities. But my friends, when everything is said and done, what should be the top priority on our list? Our business? God's business. I mean, Jesus is coming. <laughs> and my heart's cry is, come soon, Lord. I'm tired of this old wretched world that you and I are living in. <laughs> there was a statement made by an elderly minister that registered deep in my spirit when I was just a young preacher boy starting out. I heard it over 50 years ago. I've never forgotten it. Quote, unquote, I had rather burn out for the Lord than rust out for the devil. That has been my philosophy 
for over 50 years. There are many things that I admire and respect about my wife, Rebecca. And one of the things is this. If Rebecca is able to do something, physically able to do something, and she's asked, I have never heard her say no. Never. I respect that about her. I admire that about her. Well, friends, I'm concerned. Jesus is coming. And we need to be busy about God's business. <laughs> it's time we stop playing church. We sing the song sometimes, I surrender all. But do we really mean it? God's business is the most important business that we can take care of. I had rather burn out for the Lord than rust out for the devil. And so again, I repeat, if you and I are going to receive the baptism of God's Holy Spirit, we must not shun or neglect taking care of the business of God's kingdom on this earth. And the business must always be viewed as His business, not our business. God longs to fill us as individuals. God longs to fill us as a collective church with the promise of both the former reign and the latter reign. And I believe with all of my mind and all of my heart that as you and I follow the example of those disciples relative to these four issues, being obedient to the command of Christ, experiencing a change of attitude if necessary, engaging in continual prayer as a united group, and recognizing the importance of doing God's business, it will ensure that you and I experience an end-time baptism of God's Holy Spirit. Because just as God's church was birthed in a blaze of glory through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God's church should be going out in a blaze of glory through the baptism of His Holy Spirit. Work, for the night is coming. Dr. Dan Gerard is the pastor of University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.